Hey, what's up? Hello, this is Admin Cubana coming back at you with another episode of the Unladylike Lounge podcast. And today I am joined by Hans. Hans, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's a good day to be alive. Thank you. I know that's right. Thank you so much for joining us. I cannot wait to get into this episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Brag a little bit and what's your backstory? Okay, I'm going to try to shorten the backstory because at the age of 65, there's a whole lot there. But um, grew up in 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 East Harlem in in New York City. Uh, okay. This the child of a of a black woman who came up whose family came up to Chicago in the Great Migration, and a a white man from a poor family in a farming family in Nebraska. They fell in love in Chicago and moved to New York. And um, my father started a residential drug treatment center that became our home where wow. we lived in one apartment and right below us were dormitories for 60 men, most of them from prison or Vietnam veterans, another 60 men and women coming in during the day. So I would have those people as my teachers and mentors in addition to my parents during the day, uh, at night. And during the day, I would go to a fancy private school called Collegiate School for Boys, uh, founded in 1628. So it was a bit of a schizophrenic existence. But throughout that, and, and we also, before that, we lived in housing projects, uh, tenements, uh, East 100th Street. There's a book about East 100th Street by a guy named Bruce Davidson, uh, just talking about the intense poverty and, and, and humanity on that block. And we lived there for a while. Uh, so I got the whole range of experiences, got to see the extremes of wealth, extremes of poverty. Um, and I learned a lot of my values from my parents. And in watching their struggles, both in running the residential drug treatment center, in watching my father go up more than once to march with Dr. King in the South, I've got photos of him being released from jail with Dr. King, letters from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to my father signed by MLK. Uh, and, and me and my brother and sister, when we were little, we would join arms in front of the door not to let him out because we knew he might not come back. And he, he would smile oh. and say, this is... Who, who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. And we learned early on that, that, you know, service to something greater than ourselves was really important. And yeah. I decided the way I was going to pursue that, those lessons was by becoming a, a lawyer. So from the age of like eight years old, um, I had my mindset on law school. I actually got that accomplished after going to Princeton University um, and then Columbia University Law School. I practiced law for nine years. Um, but oh, I, I wasn't making the impact that I had wanted to. And so I, I checked with, and, and, but, but throughout all that, I had done things like it was a, in the big brother program. Uh, I had taught street law classes to kids in different schools in East Harlem. And my brother at the same time was on his own journey um, going to Harvard, graduated in three years with high honors and then became a maintenance man in the education school <laughs> where wow. the dean of the ed school said, what are you doing with your life? He says, why don't you just, join uh, and get a master's degree in education and then he figured it out from there so he took the dean's advice and uh ended up teaching at a public school and i spoke to him i said look i'm thinking about getting out of the practice of law what about the two of us starting a, an independent school this predates charter legislation in most of the states and certainly predated charter legislation in new york so we'd have to raise all the money ourselves figure out everything ourselves he said if you can raise fifty thousand dollars i'm in so I got $25,000 from a professional gambler and another $25,000 pledge from JFK Jr., who I had known, who was a few years behind me in school at Collegiate. And then we our paths crossed in the district attorney's office in Manhattan. Um, he got wow. me the money through the Robin Hood Foundation uh, that he had just joined. 
and we were off and running. And, and that school is still there being run by my brother 32 years later. But it, but it was a hard go. Um, it was it was at the height of the crack epidemic. There were mm-hmm. 2,400 homicides, I think, in, in, in New York in the year I started the school. Uh, um, there were death threats against me and my brother for disrupting the drug trade when all we were trying to do is run a school. Oh, and we took gosh. kids who have not been successful in public school who, um, to this, I mean, we keep it, I keep in touch and he does as well, keep in touch with them to this day. And I sometimes have to remember it was like a dream. And I, I that was going to be, that was going to be my, law was going to be my first forever job and career. That didn't work out. The school was going to be my second forever job and career, except after nine years, my brother and I were going to kill each other. So one of us had to leave and I decided oh, that would be me. For so sure. I, left, I left to run a, a large, a, a much larger youth not, uh, development agency in Harlem. And I also at the same time started a girls school in India for uh, lower caste Hindu and Muslim girls. And that ran for 10 years. Thought I might oh, end up there. Didn't happen. Um and so, yeah, and, and stop me whenever you want. Because like I said, 65 years, I'm packing a lot in and I'm multi-passionate. But, um, the, and, but there was oh, all sure. a North Star to, to, to my journey. And, and, and so um, the, 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 the other forever job was that large nonprofit. And I started as part, it was 350 employees, $15 million organization. I was following um, an interim executive director who had just kind of almost ruined the place. He had taken the place of their 27-year tenured executive director who grew up in the program, but who got pancreatic cancer and died very suddenly. Oh, and wow. so there was a lot of mistrust and 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 sadness. And I came into that situation and um, I think I did an okay job. I was there for seven years, started an independent high school for kids who had failed out or who were not going to the public high schools. And we did things like service trips to Ghana, uh, Nicaragua. Kenya, um, wow. and, and there, 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 we survival, desert survival in Utah. Their horizons were changed again. I keep in touch with most of those kids to this day. But when the board told me that I had done such a successful job fundraising and starting the high school, that they were going to shut the high school down so that I could focus my efforts on what they wanted, they're the board. But I told them if they forced me to do that, I would leave. They told me, you're making too much money. You're one of the highest paid nonprofit executive directors in New York. You're not going anywhere. I presented them mm-hmm. a strategic plan that showed uh, the, the organization in the following year with the high school and one without. They loved both. Well, they didn't love the one with the high school, but I had to approach us, show it to them anyway. They approved the one without the high school. And I said, well, you're going to have to get somebody to run it. I quit effective today. Um, and that created another interesting challenge in both you know, in terms of my finances, my marriage, I had nothing lined Um, And so my wife and I started a, a women's uh, uh, exercise uh, pro- exercise studio in, in, in the brownstone that we had in, in Harlem that I loved. Um, again, keep in touch with most of them to this day. And then finally, with our youngest two kids, we decided we needed to show them something other than concrete. And so moved out of Harlem into the Hudson Valley, where I ran a... Uh, a nonprofit that did garden-based instruction in 11 schools in the Hudson Valley. I also started a program in a a maximum security prison for teen boys who had been convicted of extremely violent crimes in adult court. And I did vegetable gardening with them, yoga, and I created a uh, breathwork certification um, program for these boys. I I really love that. Um, And I'll stop there because then there's a big transition, but I didn't know if you had any questions at this point. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. I have so many questions. Let's, let's start with, um, what is post-traumatic growth and how can we embrace it? Post-traumatic growth. I mean, I think one of the ways I think about it is, is that, well, there are a couple of ways. One is there's a guy named an author, uh, named Nassim Talib who talks about, uh, fragility, and I think we all know what that is. Then, then there's resilience, which a lot of people talk about. You take the hits, but you come back. But then there's mm-hmm. the concept of anti-fragility, where um, you take the hits and you don't just come back, but you come back stronger. That that kind mm-hmm. of encompasses um, post-traumatic growth. There's also one of my one of my mentors uh, is a guy named Shiro Ishii. He was my my yoga my um, judo sensei. Very cool guy. Uh, an immigrant from uh, post uh, World War II Japan, um, just very wise, but also I mean, he could, on the mat in judo, incredible even at an advanced age. And it he got me looking into Japanese culture. And there are a couple of concepts. Uh, one is wabi sabi, and 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 that's looking at the weaknesses of things and and their actually strengths, or even more to the point, a concept called kintsugi, which is a, a way of making pottery of broken pieces and you weave things like um, gold filament and other things. And so you're not trying to hide that the pot was broken, but in fact, the imperfections become a part of the history, become a part of who you now are. And in fact, that transformation um, has become even more beautiful. So post-traumatic growth for me operates in those areas. I didn't know what it was called years ago when I began to embrace it. I saw it in my parents as well. Didn't know there wasn't the term back then. But also um, when I was a, a preteen, uh, you know, there were challenges for my family in terms of, of providing medical care for the kids and all that. Despite the fact that we were going to this fancy private school, it was on full scholarship for me and my siblings. Um, but I was actually uh, a patient of a guy, uh, a doctor at Rockefeller University who was offering free medical services to, to, to boys um, at this prestigious university, Dr. Archibald. And it's something I hadn't visited until a few years ago when I saw his name again on TV. Uh, Dr. Archibald was a serial pedophile. I had been one of his patients and mm-hmm. uh, as a preteen. And I had to decide um, where I was going with that. And, and and I think like a lot of people in that position, you don't tell your parents. Uh, I didn't tell my parents. They never knew. Um, but I had to decide what I was going to do with what had happened to me. And I was either going to be a victim. And, and and there are people who are truly victims. I, I I chose to go a different direction. And I made a vow back then as a preteen that when I grew up, I was going to be able to, to work, I was going to work with children and I was going to be at least one adult who any child could trust no matter what else happened to them because I had been betrayed by this uh, person in the medical profession, right? So yeah. it, all those things entered in, um, they've entered it into my career when I when I gave up my very big salary with no job backup uh, mm-hmm. to do something else. And then to, 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 to jump ahead in the Hudson Valley where, you know, we kind of put our bucket down. We're doing well. But um, in, in February of 2022, I, I, there were, I was drinking my coffee at, I guess, 6, 630 in the morning, got a knock at the door. Some heavily tattooed guy was there. And, you don't normally people don't go up to people's doors there and not expect to <laughs> either get shot or something. But uh, I said, well, all right, let me figure out who this guy is. And he, you know, he despite his outward appearance, he was very nice talking through the door and said, please just open up. I've got I've got to give you something. Um, he says, I think you'll need to see it. And I, I was prepared for whatever else was coming. So I opened the door. He says, you've been served. He says, I'm sorry. It happens to all of us. Um, he says, don't be mad at me. He says, I'm just a messenger. 
He says, but you, you need to get a lawyer. It, it turns out my wife of a couple of decades had decided she was no longer interested in being married to me. Um, and again, in terms of post-traumatic growth, I then had to make the decision with my son going off to college, um, other children, adults, my youngest, um, I decided I was going to try to get custody of. The judge quickly in family court told me that there's no way, unless you can prove that she's being beaten every day uh, in, a, in, in a brutal way, that you're ever going to get custody, which I like. I appreciate the honesty. I didn't get it, but okay. Um, spoke to my daughter about it. Uh, she and I decided that, you know, no, she's going to stay with mom. And so then I asked my, the universe, where am I needed? And right. at that point, um, I looked at a few places and, and, and what the universe opened up to me was the Mississippi Delta and the Tutwiler Community Education Center where I have been for the past seven wow. months. Oh my goodness. I was just going to say like Harlem, New York, Mississippi Delta. That what was that like a culture shock? That I mean oh my goodness. One of the things I did and I had a couple of my students just the packing, you know, you're you're in a you're in a big farmhouse, right? We had a farmhouse built in 1899. Um Love the place, love the the five acres that we had. And so, you know, I had to wrap my head around moving from New York to there and then from there to whatever the Mississippi Delta was. And the Missis, I had been to Mississippi a couple of times on some other on business and said, there's no way this is the last place I'd ever moved to. Um, but one of the things I decided as I was talking with my students, my former students who were helping me move, and they were very sweet, uh, sweet, two sweet guys who came out they were doing well in their careers. They're in their thirties. And, and, and they said, you never gave up on us and said, so if you're going to ask us to help you move, we'll drop everything at the last minute because we owe you at least that much. I mean, it brought me to tears wow. after they left, but you know, I was just talking about that. And I, and you know, I, I realized that I was going to, I wasn't going to fly down to Mississippi. I was going to make the drive and have the the van follow me. Um, the, the, you know, with all my goods uh, from however many, it's my 60 something years. Um, and so making that drive from New York to Mississippi helped me to, to, to start thinking about things and to decompress and be very clear that, yes, I was going to be in, in a culture very different from anything that I had experienced. So I got here just ahead of the I, I got here 12 hours before a tornado that destroyed a lot of stuff around here. So that was, oh that was I was being looked after in that way. Um, you know, oh. I, I was relying on Southern hospitality and friendliness and everybody down here is very friendly. Um, oh. but this is the Mississippi Delta is, is regarded by many as, as the poorest part of the United States. Um, the, the national poverty, persistent poverty rate is roughly 12% in the area where I work and live. Um, it's 36 to 40%, uh, the persistent oh, poverty rate, gosh. uh, it has the highest, uh, it has a, the poorest outcomes for maternal health, um, the, the, the highest rates of anything bad, the lowest life expectancy. So, you know, it's it's the USDA has designated the place where I live and work as as a food desert. Um, and so there were a lot of things that <laughs> I had to wrap my head okay. around. My, my my landlord, a woman who is here and she she grew up here, but is in Texas uh, with family and grandchildren and so forth. She told me that she um, when she goes around the building where I live now, that she would always carry a gun. And she says, if you have a gun. You might want to shoot off a couple of rounds into the field just to let them know that you know you're you're here and ready. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. Welcome to to the Mississippi Delta. So, and I was taking over a community center which had fallen on hard times um, and was trying to come back from COVID and kids 
who from lockdown never really came back out. Um, and we're still, you know, in my seven months here, we're still doing that. So, yeah, there were a lot of things to, to, to figure out. I didn't have time to to wallow in any kind of sadness from from my failed marriage. Uh, you know, my son came down to visit, actually. He's a, going into his senior year at college. And he says, he says, if, he says, if something doesn't change down here, he said this after a few days. He says, you got to leave. You can't stay here. <laughs> I said, okay, thank you for your outsider's point of view. But I, I also say, well, why is he saying that? I'm glad I'm here. I'm the happiest I've been in a long time. There's wow. such a need, I think, for whatever I have to bring to this place. And mm -hmm. I, I just have to keep telling myself, you're, you're, you're not going to reach everybody. But even if you reach a couple of people, um, you're still and my tagline on my email is become becoming an ancestor worth remembering. And I, I think it feels like I'm doing that here. Yes, absolutely. And can you tell us what what you mean by that? What does that mean to you becoming an ancestor worth remembering? I, I, I want to have a legacy of, of service, um, of purpose. I want people when they think about me to say, wow, that's a guy who lived by certain virtues, Think, things like love and courage and wisdom um, that can, who lived by my values of creativity, freedom and service. And is it, so so, for instance, I got a, I got a, 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 um, uh, a an Instagram message last night from somebody who says, peace and blessings with with all love. I just wanted to reach out to you. And thank you for everything you've done. And this is a guy who's on Instagram showing his uh, photos that he's taken the old school way with old school cameras, right? Not not iPhones of, oh. of Harlem and East Harlem. And like, who is this? And I said, sorry, you got to, he said, at this my age, you got to jog my memory. And he says, you, he says, he's, and he, he told me his his street name. He said, you may not remember me, but I had, a, I was doing a three-year bid upstate in prison and you helped me survive that. He says, and I've taken those lessons since I've been released. Um, to live the best oh. life I possibly can, right? So, so, so you, you, you know, it was random. It was I, I didn't even recognize the guy's street name. I still am not clear who he was, but the love that came through there, right? That's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want to leave people with. There's a book called I think The Second Mountain that talks about for for a lot of people they're working on their resume virtues, but mm -hmm. there comes a time for people, and some there's a point earlier than others where instead of your, your 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 resume virtues you want to work on your eulogy virtues so that's what i want to do i, I you yes. know however long um i want people to remember that wow this guy made an impact in my life and and, and then that's all that that's about uh, a positive impact so absolutely and being being one of those kids i mean granted i grew up in small town minnesota but being one of those kids who got into trouble young and was shipped off to to a correctional facility i had those people i was blessed enough to have those people who made that impact and i you know wish i could reach out to them and tell them hey thank you you made that impact for me i you know i feel like this is my way of, of being able to, to tell you thank you for making that impact on people, you know, and and kind of my way of, of reaching them and, and telling them thank you. So thank you so much for what you do and, and for being that safe person for so many children. And and a lot of us didn't have that growing up. So many of us, as you know, so many of us did not have a, a safe person to turn to, right. a safe adult, you know, is, especially in, in New York. Um 
Chicago, all these places. I'm actually close to Chicago and and so many people just didn't have that. So thank you so much for all that you do. Where can my audience find more of you, more of your work, follow your journey? On Instagram, it's Ronin for life. Ronin is a masterless samurai, uh, but Ronin for life. Um, HansHagemanCoaching.com. Uh, or, you know, take a look and I'm, <laughs> the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So I have to, I'm, I'm the website guy on, on, for my community center. So don't judge me. I'm still trying to work on it. It's one of the things I'm doing, but it's the Tutwiler, uh, com- community education center.org just to see a little bit about what we're, we're trying to do. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, and I'm, and also will... the, I'm also the, I, I'm sorry. I'm also the author of a book, Gamer Strong, which has to do with, uh, mental toughness skills for player versus player uh, video game uh, people. It's a longer story, but yes. Yeah. (laughs) So anybody wants to check that out, 89 cents on Kindle. (laughs) Excellent. I will be sure to drop all that in the description box below. No sweat there. Thank you so much for joining us, Hans. It has been an absolute pleasure. Again, thank you so much for the work that you do. It is so appreciated. And I'm sure you definitely don't hear that enough. And to our audience members, our unladies, ladies, and gentlemen alike, as you know, I love y'all fiercely.